Disc 2. Chapter 11, Subversive Symbols. What is essential Christianity? From first to last, it is scandal, the divine scandal. Every time someone risks scandal of high order, there is joy in heaven. Soren Kierkegaard. When Jesus died, he was relatively young compared to other potentially world-changing figures. Muhammad was 60 when he died, Socrates was 70, and Plato and Buddha were both over 80. Christ's death came so comparatively early in his messianic career, probably in his early 30s, that we really only have about three years of his adult life on record. It is amazing that he left the impact he did on human history, more than any other figure who has ever lived. What we know about Jesus' teaching is as bizarre as it is beautiful. Jesus didn't just teach about God, life, and salvation. He taught about himself and how he could help us connect with God. Jesus saw himself as a conduit to the divine. Specifically, he taught that his death would somehow be the key to making that connection real. See Matthew 16, 21-25 and Luke 18, 31-34. Jesus communicated his message not only through his stories and teaching, but also by reconfiguring significant symbols of his day. Before he died, Jesus left his followers with two symbols of subversion, or acts of irreligion, which have survived to this day, albeit often in very religious forms. The first was baptism. When people went to the temple to receive forgiveness for their sin, they not only sacrificed animals, but also cleansed themselves ritually with water. They would baptize themselves, baptize coming from the Greek word meaning to immerse. And they would do this in basins of water designed to help them wash away any spiritual impurities they had come in contact with during their daily lives. Between full-body baptisms, many religious people would baptize their hands to symbolize their commitment to purity. Remember the sacred jars at the wedding in Cana. In partnership with John the Baptist, Jesus adopted this symbol but moved it away from the temple steps and into the community, wherever water was available. Baptism into the Jesus movement became a way of symbolizing that a person could have their sins washed away apart from the religious system. This renewed symbol did not take a special priest or pastor to administer. Instead, any spiritual brother or sister could baptize the person coming into faith as a way of partnering with them in the symbol and welcoming them into the spiritual community. See Acts 8, 29 as well, the symbol became a single event at the outset of a person's life of faith. Recurring baptisms became unnecessary since baptism was no longer part of a system of necessary repeated purifying, but a symbol of God's once and for all acceptance of us. The simplicity of the symbol is beautiful. Unfortunately, many Christians use baptism today as the special ceremony that must only be administered by the paid professional holy man within the sacred space of an official church building. Jesus offers us a better way. The second symbol that Jesus infused with new meaning was the Jewish Passover meal, called the Seder. Today, Christians celebrate this reconfigured event as communion, the Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper. At his last Passover Seder with his disciples, Jesus infused the event with new meaning, designed to help us all understand the significance of his death and our response of faith. Just hours before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus found a way to explain its meaning to his disciples in a way they would never forget. 
Through this Last Supper, Jesus was also able to leave all future generations a way of commemorating his death and recalibrating their lives around its centrality. See 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. How telling that the Lord's Supper, which is the only ongoing commemorative act authorized by Jesus, dramatizes not his birth or life, words or works, but only his death. Obviously, Jesus wanted his crucifixion to become the fulcrum of his followers' faith. But why? The Passover Seder was not a neutral meal to begin with. Already, it was the symbolic celebration of liberation from bondage, achieved through the shedding of blood. Long ago, God had liberated the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt, and the Passover meal celebrated this fact. The death of the firstborn, the blood of the animal sacrifices, and the freedom those things achieved were all embedded elements in this meal of remembrance. It is within this context of the celebration of a miraculous freedom that Jesus called the bread, My body which is given for you, Luke twenty two nineteen, And he called the wine, My blood, which is the new agreement that God makes with his people, Luke twenty two twenty. Then he added, this blood is poured out for many to forgive their sins. Matthew twenty six twenty eight. A new covenant, a new agreement between God and us, a new way of experiencing God, a new means to receive forgiveness, a new opportunity for renewed relationship with our Creator, all offered apart from the established religious structure. Through the newly invigorated symbolism of the Last Supper, Jesus showed his disciples what would replace the blood of the sacrificial system, Jesus' own blood. Jesus had condemned the temple system, and now he offered to become the replacement, the final sacrifice that makes all other sacrifices trivial. Jesus claimed to have successfully replaced religion with himself. I want us to appreciate the shock value in the symbol. Try to put yourself in the disciples' place, as though you were hearing this for the first time. Jesus is asking his followers to mime the consumption of his corpse. No matter how you slice it, pardon the pun, that is just plain weird. But it gets worse. Jesus is very specific. He says they are to drink his blood. Jesus alluded to this idea of eating his flesh and drinking his blood once before in his teaching career, and it cost him some followers. See John six fifty one to 66 John records, Because of what Jesus said, many of his disciples turned their backs on him and stopped following him. John 6, verse 66. You would think Jesus would have learned his lesson. Scrap the whole drink my blood message. But rather than rethink, repackage, reshape his symbolism into something a little less offensive, Jesus turns up the volume on his macabre message, inviting his disciples to physically participate with him in acting out this emblematic truth. Let's be clear about this. If there is one thing you shouldn't ask a group of young Jewish men to do, it is to drink blood. It doesn't matter whether it is human or animal, real or symbolic. The Hebrew Bible commands against ingesting blood in any fashion. Leviticus 17, 10 and 12. This is an unambiguous rule. Meat must be drained. Blood must be avoided. Asking his disciples to drink blood, even symbolically, 
does more than merely offend their sensibilities. It is a direct dismantling of religious rules in favor of radical allegiance to Jesus. He is placing his disciples in the position of making a choice to participate in a Passover meal with redefined symbols that intentionally conflict with biblical law is sacrilege. From this point on, there will be no turning back. Do they continue with the Passover as Jesus has redefined it? Or do they leave the meal and the movement under protest? Are they willing to follow Jesus all the way, knowing he is leading them out of the safety zone of religion and into uncharted spiritual territory? Are they finally willing to take it all, the redefined Passover, the crucified Messiah, the way of life through death and freedom through sacrifice, into themselves by drinking the wine of the new covenant? Or will they go back to the safety of their religious traditions? These are the questions Christ followers and potential Christ followers must still wrestle with. Jesus puts all of us in a position of decision, whether or not we want to reject all systems of salvation in favor of trusting his irreligious way.